Hey, Heartland. Good morning. How are you? Good. If some of you are staying home because of the rain or the wet roads, uh, we're glad to have you here with us too. Uh, hey, you got to find your people. This is the song that our band, if you were here uh, on time this morning, you got the treat of our band opening this, song, this service with a uh, killer song. They did a great job with it, didn't they? Yeah, some of you are like... Am I supposed to sing along to this? No, you're just allowed to enjoy it. A song by uh, a guy by the name of Drew Holcomb that some of you may listen to. He writes the lyrics. You've got to find your people. Here's what the lyrics of the song said in case you missed it. And to start us off today, you've got to find your people, the ones that make you feel all right. You've got to find your people, the kind you want to stay up with all night. You've got to find your people who put the needle in the groove. When you're together, you've got nothing to prove. And then Drew Holcomb hits the chorus and he says it like this, in a world full of strangers, you don't know who to trust. All you see is danger trying to find what you're lost, what you lost. You can't go it alone. Everybody needs help. You got to find your people and then you'll find yourself. That rings true, doesn't it? That we got to find our people. That's what we all want, right? To find our people, not just people, because people are strange and scary, but you got to find your people. You got a people that get, that get you, that laugh at your bad jokes, that are by your side through the ups and the downs, but they also get in your face when you know you need it. And they're allowed to do that because they're not just people, they're your people. And because, and what, but what you and I know is that these people, your people, aren't easy to find. And yet, as the song tells us, you got to find them. This month, we've been in a series, we started last week, a series called Heartland. It's one of our simplest and most unoriginal series titles, (laughs) but we're praying it's one of of our most significant series. Because during these four Sundays in August, we're taking four things, we're exploring four things that are at the core of who we are as a church, who we've been for the past 37 years, and who we are still becoming as we go into the next 30 so last week, Dan took us back. Last week, if you missed last week's sermon, I really want to encourage you to go back. If, if you're watching this online and it's, it's later in the week, I want you to pause this sermon right now and I want you to go back last week because I want you to listen to what Dan shared about because he took us back to the early days in 1986 when Heartland was just a dream in the hearts of 26 people's uh, and in, in, the, in 26 people's hearts, just a few miles north of here. And at the core of their dream was this. This is what Dan shared with us last week. That at the core of who Heartland is, is we help people find God. That is the leading edge of who we are. We are here to help people find God. That just as Jesus came into earth to remove the obstacle of sin so that people could find a God who loves them. Those 26 people wanted to remove whatever obstacles they could that would keep people from finding a church who would help them find that God who sent Jesus for them. They started a church that vowed to not get caught up in traditions or denominational differences. They weren't going to wage war against culture or become divided by politics. They had one singular focus, to help people find God. They wanted to help anyone who was curious about church, bored by church, had given up on church, had been burned by a church, find a church that was started with them in mind, to find a church who could help them find God. Because even though people may have given up on church, what we know was true back then and what we believe is true still today is that people still are curious about God. And we want to be a people who can help them find that God. This week, we're going into our second, what we're calling heartbeat. 
These are, these are the four things that just pulse in our veins of who we are and how we go about what we do here at Heartland. And so this second heartbeat is this. Not only do we help people find God, we help people find their people. As the song told us that I quoted for us, you got to find your people. And we're here to help. It's who we are as a church. In 1938, Harvard University uh, began a 75-year study to answer one question. What's the secret to happiness? Harvard University, some of our leading researchers of, of that century and still today, set out to answer a question that every single person that walks this planet has probably asked at some point in their life. What is the secret to happiness? Is it wealth or security? Is it accomplishments? Is it having a clear purpose? For over seven decades, these researchers followed the lives of 724 people from all over the earth. If you were one of those people, every two years, these researchers would check in with you and they would ask you about your physical health, your emotional, your, your mental health. They would ask you about your overall uh, quality of life, your satisfaction, how fulfilled you were every, every two years for 75 years. And when they published their, finding, their findings, they found one remarkable, overwhelming conclusion what makes people happy? Relationships do. That the people in their study who had found their people had less health struggles, lived longer, and were more, far more fulfilled in life than the people in their study who hadn't found their people, than the people who didn't have people to call their friends and their family, their support groups that they could rely on in hard times. The people who found their people had better lives than those who hadn't. Now what science is telling us is what the scriptures already have, right? The way back at the beginning of Genesis, God set Adam right in the middle of all that God had created. Think about that for a second. That Adam had the entire unpolluted creation to himself. Not only that, Adam had all of God to himself. Some of these parents are saying, this sounds amazing right now. <laughs> to have no one bothering me. I have all of the world and all of God to myself. And yet, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. In other words, God was saying, you got to find your people, Adam. Except there was a problem. <laughs> there were no people to find. And so God solves this problem for Adam. See, Adam's experience of the world and even this, his, get this, his relationship with God would never be complete without people for him to find. And so God solved this problem by giving him people to find. He gave him Eve. And in the same way, God solves our loneliness and our completeness as well. He gives us people to find. See, those 26 people back in the early days of Heartland in 1986, they knew this. That finding God, hear me, finding God without finding a people to follow him with would be just as incomplete and frustrating and lonely as Adam was in the garden. And so when they set out to name this new church, there was something important to them. It was to be a community church, that they named themselves Heartland Community Church. The reason was twofold. One is that they wanted to be a church who was located in our community and for our community, that no matter what the people of Kansas City thought about church or God, the people of Kansas City would be thankful for Heartland Community Church because we were making our city a better place. So we wanted to be for our community, but that's not the only reason why they named this place Heartland Community Church. It's because they had a commitment to be a community because they wanted to make sure that people had a people to be a part of. 
because of their commitment to be a community of people who help people find their people. And here's, here's the big reason why. Here's why they were committed to that then and why we're still committed to this today. It's because Jesus didn't come just to help you find God. Jesus came to help you find a people to follow him with. 37 years later, we still have this conviction that the church isn't a building we come to, it's not a service you watch, it's not a seat that you sit in, it's not a channel you turn on on your TV or your smartphone, that the church is a community of people who follow God together. Now, how do we do that? How do we be people who help people find their people to find and follow God together? I wanna give us a few ways. Here's the first, here's the first way that we help people find their people. We welcome people the way that they are. You learned a lesson as a teenager that if you had to dress a certain way or act a certain way or talk a certain way to get in with a certain group of people, then they weren't a group of people that you really wanted to be your people. And if you learned this the hard way, maybe you went to the mall. Remember those? Yeah. And, and you bought the Jordache jeans or the Gap sweater or whatever it was because of the lunch table you wanted to sit at. And you found out that even dressing that way or looking that way uh, wouldn't get you in with the people who sat at the table too. You resolved at that point that from then on, you were only going to make your people the people who would accept you just the way that you are. You learned that lesson. I learned that lesson too. That we shouldn't have to dress ourselves up to find our people, to look a certain way, to pretend. But yet, that's still how our society still kind of works. And it still can be how churches work too. Maybe you've experienced a church where you felt like you had to dress or act a certain way to be welcomed. You felt like you had to know the church lingo or check the certain theological boxes or whatever it may be, religious boxes. And if you had questions or issues or doubts, you had to leave those things at the door when you walked into the church. Otherwise, you just had to pretend like you didn't have those doubts or questions or issues. But that's not the way it ever was with Jesus. It's not the way it is with us either. In fact, Luke, one of the guys who records the story of Jesus's life and, and teaching and ministry, Luke records several times. Here's one of them, where, how Jesus uh, welcomed people. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus was really confusing for the people of his day, especially for the religious leaders. These are the people, you know, the leaders of the synagogues and the temple, they were pretty high up in society. And, and so Jesus is sitting there with the tax collectors and the sinners. These are two distinct groups of people, the tax collectors. Now, now these, these, these are thieves in your mind, if you're living in first century Judaism. Now, it's bad enough to be a tax collector, but they are taking money off of the top and pocketing it for themselves. And here Jesus is sitting and welcoming those guys, the thieves. Not only are they thieves, they were traitors. They were working for the Roman government. These were Jews who had signed up to work for the Roman government and were kind of persecuting their own people by working for them. And Jesus welcomed them. And then, put that slide back up, and then, and then there are the sinners. Now, if, if you are in a group of people known as the sinners, this is a bad deal. You know, the Pharisees, to give them credit, the religious leaders, they knew that all people sinned. They believed that about themselves. But in their mind, it was one thing to be a person who sins, and it was another thing to be a sinner. Cue the Saturday Night Live quote, right? <laughs> yeah. These were not just people who sinned. These were the sinners. These were the bad of the bad. And Jesus 
was willing to welcome them. He was, welcome, he was willing to accept them. To the religious leaders, they could not fathom this. This is one of the most shocking and important things about Jesus, is that he was willing to confuse and even offend the religious people of his day if it meant showing the least and the lost that God loved them. But it wasn't just the sinners and the tax collectors that Jesus welcomed. If you, if you scroll through the Gospels, it was the sick and the, and the diseased. It was the sad. It was the outcasts. It was even the kids. They're like, what's so wrong about kids? Who doesn't love kids? Well, kids didn't have a place at the grown-ups table of religion in the society of that day. So when they would run up to Jesus, because who didn't want to be around Jesus, people tried to shoo them away. But Jesus says this. He says, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Why is that worth mentioning? Because there, if there's a group of people in our world who don't know how to pretend to be anything other than what they are. It's small children, right? It's Jesus saying, welcome people without them feeling like they need to pretend in order for you to welcome them. What's this tell us, Heartland? It tells us that we welcome people just as they are. When we do this, we are welcoming Jesus and we're, we're welcoming God who sent Jesus. Now, here's the thing. I'm not just talking about who we welcome through those doors. I'm not just talking about who walks in and who we smile at and who we shake hands with and who we, who we maybe introduce ourselves to. Heartland, thankfully, I think, I think, even before I, I, I was a pastor here at Heartland, I knew of Heartland as a place that had one of the biggest front doors and welcome mats in all of Kansas City. This is, this is a place that has been built on that kind of foundation. And I thank God for our church to be able to do that. But if there's a growth edge for us, Heartland, it's not just who walks through the doors of this building. It's who you and I welcome into the doors of our own life. Welcome into our schedules. It's who you and I welcome into our friendships, around our tables, and in our groups. See, what this means is that people don't have to be like you and me to be welcomed by you and me. People don't have to think like you. They don't have to believe like you. They don't have to come from the same slice of society as you, parent their kids like you, or even vote like you to be welcomed by you. That's what the Pharisees believed, but not Jesus and not us. We welcome whoever Jesus would welcome, and we welcome them in the same way that Jesus would welcome them. This is always the way that it was meant to be for the church. So, so even when the church began, not, not just this church, the church, like the, the original church that started all of the churches everywhere, well, uh, this was meant to be the way. But how soon after Jesus left that the church would forget this? As churches formed all over the known world, as this movement of Jesus spread, there was, they were filled with all sorts of different people, all within the same church. There were, there were Jewish Christians, and there were Christians with, with uh, Greek and Roman backgrounds. There were those who were convinced that Jesus was God. And there were those who weren't so sure, but they were curious. There were men and women within the same churches. Now, this is a big deal. That had not been the way. In fact, Jesus and the early church did more to elevate women in society than any other movement across history. And here they are together for the first time. They were young, they were old, they were slaves, they were free. They were all sorts of people from all sorts of places with all sorts of experiences and all sorts of views all coming together. And one of these churches was the church in Rome. 
And a few, a few, a couple decades after this church had been started, one of its founders wrote a letter to this church. It's the letter of Romans in the New Testament. And if you read through this letter, it is long, it is rich, it is beautiful, it is deep, it is theologically complex, one of the most complex in the entire New Testament. And at the end of Romans, Paul takes everything that he says in this letter and he boils it down to maybe the most practical thing, summary statement that he can. He takes this entire letter and here's what he says for them to do with it. He says, so welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Some translations don't just put it like this. When they look at the Greek, the word kind of means a couple things. Don't just welcome one another, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. That takes things up a notch, doesn't it? To welcome one another, that's one thing, but to accept one another? That, that means I don't just welcome you, I accept you. I don't just tolerate you, which is to say I, I put up with you and all the stuff about you that annoys me. I accept you just as you are, wherever you are, no matter how different you and I are. And here's why, Paul says, because that's how Christ accepted you. And when we do this, that's what gives praise and glory to God when we accept one another just as you are, because that's how Christ accepted you. Harlan, if we wanna give God glory, if we wanna show people who Christ is, then we welcome people just as they are, just as Jesus does. That's the first thing. Here's the second way we help people find their people. It's this, we walk with people toward Jesus. I was at a, uh, I won't mention which particular one, because uh, I know some of you have strong feelings, but I was in a home improvement store uh, here, here in our town recently. Uh, it wasn't the, maybe it was the blue one, maybe it was the green one, maybe it was the orange one, maybe it was the smaller expensive ones. Uh, but I was in one of these stores and, and I needed a sprinkler part for my lawn. All I ever wanted in life was a lawn sprinkler system. We moved to Kansas City, the, the house happened to have one, and now I regret it because these things cost money, y'all. Like, just let the grass burn. Uh, <laughs> and every year you're replacing these things and it's just nuts. So you're not missing out on anything. Uh, I know Dan was touting his whole, like, when it rains, my sprinkler doesn't sprinkle. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I had a broken part. I went to the store. I'm a DIYer. Try to do everything I can to fix it before I pay money to other people to do it for me. And I walk in and I, and I find a worker at this store. I have trouble finding this part. I check the electrical section, the plumbing section, the outdoor section. Couldn't find this part. And uh, I finally find a worker at the store uh, to, to help me. And I say, hey, I'm looking for this part. And they say, oh yeah, that's great. Aisle, aisle 49 that way. So I walk over to aisle 49, 20 minutes later, I'm in aisle 49, still scouring every single shelf I can, I can to find this part. It was nice to know that this part was somewhere in aisle 49. <laughs> but what, have been, what would have been really helpful is if that worker, who I'm sure had lots of important things to do, would have walked me to aisle 49 and said, here it is. That's why I love that here at Heartland, that when, when our, uh, our greeter teams, our hospitality teams, everyone out there in the atrium that wears a yellow lanyard, one of the things that they're trained in, a practice that I learned we have, is that they're trained to walk, don't point. That if you're out there, if you're coming here for the first time or you're looking for something, you're looking for the kids' check-in desk, you're looking for someone to pray with you, you're, you're wondering where our, our room is for new moms and their, and their infants, uh, and you ask one of these people with a lanyard, they're going to walk you there. 
They're going to abandon their post. They're going to leave what they were doing, the important job that they have, because there's something more important going on right there. It's you and the needs you have. And they're going to make sure that they walk with you to find what it is that you're looking for. Now, that's just a simple, kind of basic, obvious practice. Some of you are like, hang on, that's a good, I'm going to teach my employees about that, right? Yeah, we're going to walk. Uh, it's, but it's not just a practice here on Sunday mornings. This is how we should be going about our relationships. That we don't just point people to Jesus. We walk them toward Jesus. We don't just point, we walk. Got off on a little tangent soapbox, got to remember where I was there. But and over, the way, over the years, we've done, this in, we've done this in a lot of ways, walking, not pointing. As a church, kind of organizationally, formally, we've had small groups and we've had home builders, we've had Bible studies, we've had something called fusion, which I think was our young adult singles ministry. Some of you literally found your people in fusion. We've had men's and women's ministries and huddles and communities and, and midweek, all of these things that have the same purpose. And we've done these things to help you and I find people who can walk with us toward Jesus and who we can walk with to help them walk toward Jesus. There's a gospel and there's a story in the gospel of Mark of a group of guys who had a paralyzed friend that they wanted Jesus to heal. They heard that Jesus was uh, across town teaching in a house, and so they figured if we could bring our friend to Jesus, maybe he would, he would heal him and help him walk again. Mark records it like this, that Jesus was still teaching when four people came up carrying a man on a mat because he could not walk. But because of the crowd, they could not get him to Jesus. So they made a hole in the roof above him and let the man down in front of everyone. And when they did this, Jesus, you know, imagine this, this roof opening up above him. Jesus sees this guy, and Mark tells us he's so impressed with the faith of his friends that he forgives this guy of his sins. It's a little bit of a weird moment. They carried their friend all the way across town so that he could walk again. And Jesus forgives him of his sins. I'm sure they were appreciative of that. But I also think they were probably like, sins? Nah. Legs? Like, thank you, if that did anything, I hope so. And meanwhile, also in the room are more religious leaders, and, and they're, they're thinking, who has the authority to forgive sins but God himself? So what does Jesus, this rabbi, think that he's doing? Jesus knowing their thoughts, Jesus knowing the, friend, the, the paralyzed guy's thoughts and their friend's thoughts. So then in that moment, Jesus does heal him, and he gets up and he walks again, and Jesus does it so that all the people in the room would know who he was that he was in fact God. So Jesus, because he's God, does the work of healing and growing each of us to be more like him. And that's the work that he does in our lives. It's not the work that we do in each other's lives. We welcome and accept. We walk with people toward Jesus. And then Jesus moves in with his love and compassion and power to forgive and to heal and to grow and to change. We walk with one another through the questions that a person may have about Jesus, through the struggles of sin and regret, we walk with one another as we study Jesus' teaching together and we try to practice it in our lives. We walk with one another when we fail at it, when we, when we get it wrong, and then we walk with one another as we try to learn from it and do it again. Now, that, this changes everything about who we are and how we do this. It changed everything about, about what this is, that this isn't a building we come to. It's a community to be a part of. It's a community where relationships happen. 
Relationships where you can be supported and encouraged and challenged, and here's a scary word, known. Relationships where you can be known and where you can know one another. There's some profound wisdom in the movie Shrek that, that you and I are onions. He says ogres are onions. I'm gonna broaden the, the, the analogy here, that you and I are onions. Now the donkey would prefer that we are parfaits or chocolate layer cakes, but Shrek goes with onions, so I will too. That we all have layers to ourselves, and this is, this is what we know about ourselves. I grabbed this out of our cupboard this morning. Um, I already peeled one layer off because it was kinda a little gross. But, uh, but most of what people know about us is what's on the surface of the onion, right? This is the way we dress, the way we do our hair, uh, the, the profession that we've chosen for ourselves, where we live. This is most of our relations stay up at the top level of who we are. But if you go a layer deeper into who you are, that's, that's your personality. That's what kind of makes, makes you interesting to other people. If you go a, a layer or two deeper than that, that's where your interests are. These are the things that you like and that you don't like, the, the movies that make you laugh, the, your inside jokes that you have with other people the interests that you have. If you go even a, a layer or two deeper than that into who you are, that's where your experiences live. This is, this is things about your childhood. This is about the joys and the pains, and the things that shapes who you are, why you are, the people that were part of those experiences with you. This is when we're getting deeper into the young and you go beneath that layer of experiences, maybe a, a couple more layers. It's where your secrets live. These are the things that you prefer to keep hidden from other people. It's maybe where your sin hides. Things that, that you think if other people knew this about you, then they wouldn't accept you. Then they would run from you. And the deeper you get into this onion, the lonelier it can feel. So much so that even you yourself are not willing to go to the center of the onion of who you are. Now, all of these layers have some truth to them about who you are. All of these things are part of who you are. But we're so unwilling to let people into our onion. Do you have anyone in your life that you're willing to let down a couple layers? You know, it doesn't have to be everyone, but do you have, do you have anyone? See, if you go all the way down to the core of the onion, if you go all the way down to the core of, of who you are, this can feel like a scary place to be in, and you're not quite so sure what, you can, what you'll find there, but I want to tell you what's there because the New Testament tells us in Ephesians 3, Romans 8, Colossians 1, at the very core of who you are is Christ in you. That if you have accepted Jesus, the very core of who you are beneath all of those layers is Christ in you. If, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're thinking, well, well what, what's in me? If you go deep into that core, here's what you're going to find. It's the love that Christ has for you that you maybe just haven't found yet and accepted. We walk with one another toward Jesus because these are the people who help us walk into the layers of who we are. They get to know us, and that can be scary territory, but when we realize that who we are at our core is a person who has been created and loved and forgiven and saved by Jesus, then it frees us from all of that scary territory on the outside of the onion. And we need people to go into the onion with us. Because as the song says, you gotta find your people, and then you find yourself. We walk with one another toward Jesus. Here's the last thing 
The last way that we, we help people find their people is that we stick with people in life. Uh, you know what's harder than finding your people? It's sticking with them. That we can struggle with commitment when it comes to people, can't we? That life gets busy and hard seasons come our way. It makes our time with other people sparse and shallow. We all have friendships that were deep, deep for us for a certain season and then for whatever reason, they kind of disappeared. People go through hard stuff. You might not know how to be there for them. You go through hard stuff. People might not know how to be there for you. Not to mention that relationships with people can go sideways and get messy. People will disappoint us. The groups you're a part of will disappoint you. Churches and their leaders will disappoint you. In fact, most of the New Testament are letters that were written to churches. If you flip past the Gospels, you will see the story of churches, several churches, where things got hard and messy. In fact, most of the letters that are written in the New Testament are written to churches trying to figure out how to deal with the mess that was going on in the relationships of people in their churches. Because sticking with people is a hard thing to do. And so that's why over a hundred times in the New Testament, the phrase one another shows up. The various authors and Jesus himself says, be patient with one another, be devoted to one another, bear the burdens of one another, live in harmony with one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, be at peace with one another, and of course, 16 times, love one another. Because there comes a time when the people that you've found can be the hardest to love. So when the hard stuff comes, every single incidence of mess and complexity and loneliness even, this can be a moment when God is trying to teach us and remind us that the only way this works, what we're talking about today, the only way that community can happen is if we're willing to give one another the same commitment and the same grace that Jesus has given us. And so many times when there are things that are keeping us from sticking with one another, it's because we are failing to see that God is giving us an opportunity to realize how much grace he's given us and to be able to extend that to other people. If we're gonna help people find their people, we got to be people who stick with them through the hard stuff of life. We welcome them as they are. We walk with them toward Jesus. And we stick with one another in the hard stuff of life. There's a beautiful picture of this. Craig mentioned that last week we got to witness baptism. Some of you were here for that. We saw some pictures of it. The stories, if you're newer to church, you're wondering what this is. Baptism is just a picture of what God does in our lives when we believe that at the core of who we are is someone who has been forgiven and loved and given new life in Jesus. And so they go into the water as a symbol of how Jesus has washed them clean and we get raised to new life. It's one of the most pinnacle moments in the life of someone who follows Jesus. The, the, uh, one of the people who got baptized in our second service was a woman by the name of, of Nydia. Uh, she got baptized here. Uh, Here's a story of, of Nydia right here in second service. Uh, here's what you don't know, what none of us knew. <laughs> none of us knew about Nydia's story last weekend. She was home watching the service online when Dan in his message said, hey, we have a tank of water. The person who was supposed to be baptized couldn't make it today, but I feel like there are some people who maybe wanna take us up on this opportunity. 
Nydia was watching at her home. She got in her car, she drove to the church, and she walked in those front doors and said, I want to be baptized. Now, when she walked through those doors, she found Bill. Bill knew Nydia. Bill was standing at those doors several months ago when Nydia showed up at this church for the first time. When Nydia showed up at that church for the first time, it was right after her mom had passed away. She came looking for a church service. What she found were a couple of friends. She found Bill. And she found another woman named Haley. These are two people who found Nita going through the hard stuff of life and, her, and who were willing to walk with her through those challenges. And so when Bill saw Nydia walk through the doors last week, he was the first to hear that she came to be baptized. And, and, and Haley was sitting right over here when she saw her friend Nydia coming up to be baptized. Haley having no idea that she had even been thinking about this. But because they had welcomed, Bill and Haley had welcomed Nydia as she was, because they had been walking with her for several months toward Jesus, and because they had been sticking with her through the challenges of life, they got to be a part of Nydia's story. They got to be people that Nydia found. And they get to be people who are still helping Nydia find more of her people here through Heartland. That's Nydia's story. What's yours? Have you found your people? And are you willing to help other people find theirs? If you're here this morning, if you're listening, I believe it's not just because you're looking for God. I believe it's because you're looking for your people to follow God with. And so I want to give you just really one simple game-changing step that you can take to help you find your people. I don't want to complicate this this morning. It's so simple. Introduce yourself. All you have to do is introduce yourself. Sometimes we're waiting for an announcement or uh, the right button on the website. And really all we have to do is look up because God has put people around us that can be our people. We still host all of our ministries. We still run all sorts of groups and communities and we'll have more of those coming up this fall. But even in those spaces, just pick your head up and introduce yourself to someone who's there. What I love about Heartland is that we're always ready for you to take your next step, but we also believe that that next step is yours to take. We're never going to force you. When Heartland converted this old furniture store into the building, one of the most important features of, of this whole building was going to be that atrium space. And so, so the, the designers created, put in couches and high tops and a coffee bar. And we, we built the hub. It was all done in hopes that people could be next to each other and that maybe that proximity to one another might turn into an introduction. And that maybe that introduction might become a conversation. And that conversation might even become a relationship, which might become you and other people finding people to follow Jesus with. We don't just help people find people. We help them find their people who will help them follow Jesus. That's why in the next three Sundays, as Craig mentioned, we're, we're filling that space with meetups. It's just a, a simple attempt to create some space where you can find someone that you might even have one simple, single, little thing in common with. The C.S. Lewis, the great author, he, he says that friendship is born at that moment where you meet someone and, and, you, and you say to them, wait, you too? That's what we hope that you find over these next three weeks. This week, it's really simple. It's just like, like Craig said, seasons of life that you can know you're not alone in whatever season of life that you're in. Next weekend, we're going to have those meetups spread out just based upon the way that people are serving and making difference in this church and out in this community, that you can maybe find some people that you have a similar passion as. 
And then the final week, we're going to be talking about having spaces for all of our different communities and our groups and some of the courses that are happening this fall so that you can have as easy a way, as safe and simple as a way for you just to introduce yourself. There's no sign-up sheets out there. It's just to introduce yourself and meet someone who might just be a little bit like you. They won't be entirely like you. We don't want that. But they will walk with you. And they'll walk with you toward Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, I don't want to find people. I don't have time for people. I tried people. And that didn't go well. In fact, one of the reasons I came to Heartland is because it's a little bit bigger. It's a little bit darker. And I can be anonymous. And if that's you, I want you to know we're never going to force anything on you. But we will always be encouraging you, nudging you, guiding you, and helping you find your people. If you're in a season of life where you need to be anonymous, we get it. But I just want you to know that when you're ready, we're ready to be your people. We're ready to help you find them. Because we all know what we've learned, what I know is that just like Adam in the garden, if you find God but you haven't found people to follow God with, you will experience the same loneliness and frustration and incompleteness as Adam had in the garden by himself. And so I hope over these next three weeks, you'll take a chance and you'll introduce yourself. This is also why this morning, we're gonna celebrate and receive communion together. That when we celebrate communion, it's a reminder to us that through Jesus, God found his people in you and me. The communion reminds us that what Jesus did to make our communion with God possible is the same thing that he does to make our communion with each other possible. Because communion isn't simply an invitation to lean deeper into our relationship with God. It's an invitation to lean into our relationships with one another. And we share the bread, this picture of Jesus' body being given up for us on the cross. And we share the cup, the wine. We, we have grape juice at all of our five tables. All of this is gluten-free. We have this picture of grace because that's what it really takes for us to do this. That's how we be a people. That's how we find our people. That's how we stick with our people. It's through grace. And so when you're ready, I encourage you, anyone who wants to receive the grace of Jesus into their life, even if today is the first time, you are welcome to come to this table, any of our five tables around the room. And as always during communion, if you could use someone to pray for you and something you're going through in life, we have a couple people on our sidewalls and just stop by them on your way back to the seat. So when you're ready, you can come forward.